So today we are continuing our series called Brutiful. Uh, Life is both brutal and beautiful all at the same time. And how how do we find the beauty in the brutal things of life? I believe that it's through Christ that we can find beauty in the brutal things of life and how he can bring beauty out of the ashes, out of the brutal things situations and struggles that we face in our lives. So today, we are taking time to remember. Remember what happened 100 years ago, Tulsa Race Massacre that took place. And I think it's only appropriate that this is happening on Memorial Day weekend, because that's what Memorial Day is about. It's about remembering and reflecting. But, but we don't want to just remember and reflect. We, we want to we know how should we be responding. And, and I believe that God wants us as the church to respond in the love of Christ, and what does that look like, and what should we be doing? So today, I want, uh, the title of my message is this. It's Listen, Learn, and Love. You might remember that title from a year ago. It was about a year ago at this time that we had part one, and I thought, we need to come back. We need to do part two. Listen, Learn, Love. If you have a Bible, let's go to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. While you're looking that up, if you don't have a Bible, I encourage you to download the version. great app, Um, And we're looking at a very famous story. Even if you don't know Jesus and you don't know anything about the Bible, you probably heard at least the expression, be a good Samaritan. Well, that's the story we're going to read. But we're going to look at it. For those of us who have been maybe in the church a while, and we know the story. Sometimes you hear a story like, oh, I heard this story before. But we're going to look at it from a different angle today. We're going to look at it from a personal angle. For us, and maybe you're not in the Tulsa area, and I recognize so many of you are not in the Tulsa area right now, but for those of us in the Tulsa area, this is, I think, going to be very, very personal to us today. Now, to set this up, Jesus is telling a story here. Somebody asks him, a religious leader says, hey, what does it mean to love your neighbor as yourself? And he says, oh, let me tell you a story. And he tells the story of the Good Samaritan. Now, what we don't have the context of, and what we don't realize is that when Jesus tells his story, he makes the Samaritan the good guy. That was a big no-no because the Jewish people didn't like the Samaritans and the Samaritans didn't like the Jews. They they had this great racial divide between them, very much like we are experiencing in our nation today and have experienced for quite some time. And Jesus, who is Jewish and is a rabbi, and he's speaking to a Jewish audience, he makes the Samaritan the good guy in the story. So this is not going, we love this story, but I can tell you the audience of that day were like, huh, wait wait a minute here. So let's, let's look at this story. We're gonna look at, hopefully, through some fresh eyes today. And so Jesus said this in verse 30. He tells the story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along, but, but he saw the man lying there. He crossed to the other side of the road. He passed on by. Then this temple assistant, a Levite, Levite, comes by, a volunteer in the church, so to speak. He walks over, looks at the guy lying there, but he also passes by on the other side. So then Jesus says this. He says, then a despised Samaritan came along. When he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn where he took care of him. Next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, hey, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll, I'll, I'll pay the next time I'm here. And then Jesus says this to, to, to his Jewish audience. Now, 
Which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who attacked the bandits? Talk about getting trapped into a corner. <laughs> They're like, ah, I like what the man says here. He says, he doesn't say the Samaritan, because he's not going to say that. Uh, the one, can't even say Samaritan, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said this, yes, now go and do the same. Father, help us now as we look back, as we reflect and remember, as we look to see what our response should be as followers of Jesus. We ask that your spirit all over this city, all over this state, wherever people are gathered around this country, maybe out of country that are watching, God, would you speak to us in Jesus' name, amen. So verse 30, a Jewish man traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, Attacked by bandits, they, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, left him for dead beside the road. A hundred years ago, there was a similar event to this one, only it wasn't one man, it was thousands who were brutally victimized. You may know the story, but you may not know a lot about the story. There's a lot of different varying accounts of this story, but... This all started because a 19-year-old boy named Dick Rowland, who was black, he, he was a, a shoe shiner in downtown Tulsa, and he needed to use the restroom, but Jim Crow law was in effect, yes, here in Tulsa, 1921, and he could not use any restroom other than the ones designated for black people, or coloreds, or is the word they would use, Negro. That's what was happening in our city. So he goes to the Drexel building, goes up to the third floor where he can use that restroom. He gets onto the elevator. There's varying accounts of what exactly transpired and, and happened, but we do know for sure that something happened. The elevator shook. So we don't know what happened exactly, but we do know that Dick Rowland put his hand on Sarah Page's arm to steady himself or, or for whatever the account was there, and she screamed. Now, when she screamed, Dick Rowland ran from the building and ran to the north side. Why did he do that? Well, because it's 1921 and because he knew what would happen because she screamed, because back then mob vengeance was what took place. He knew that he would be lynched, and so he ran for protection, and that's exactly what the white mob wanted to do. The very next day, there was an article in the Tulsa Tribune, and they, many historians, if not most historians, believe this was the match that lit the fuse for the race massacre. And in this article, it was actually filled with truth, but also lies and fabrication. They, they said that Sarah was scratched on her face, that her blouse was ripped, that was completely untrue, that did not happen. The Tulsa world has even said, no, that, no, the historians say that did not happen. In fact, Sarah Page, she wouldn't even press charges against Dick Rowland. But needless to say, the article was written, it was published, and a white mob formed at the courthouse where Dick Rowland had been arrested and he was awaiting uh, trial in the jail there. And this mob forms and they're demanding Dick Rowland. They, they want to lynch him. So a group of black men, they gather, they form around the courthouse. They're armed and they are there to protect Dick Rowland. As you can imagine, I mean, think about today, but imagine 1921, 100 years ago, a lot of tension in the air, a lot of, I mean, just very volatile situation. And, and what we do know from historical accounts is that one white man stepped out of the crowd and confronted one of the black men with a gun, grabbed the rifle, a shot went off, and as historical records so eloquently say, all hell broke loose. 
The black men immediately fled to the Greenwood District and into the north side for protection. A white mob of over 1,500 men was formed, many of them deputized, and they marched into the Greenwood District. And you probably know by now the accounts of what happened. Over 1,000 businesses and homes completely obliterated and destroyed. Men and women fleeing to, to basements and to, to attics, for the, fleeing for their lives because black men were being dragged out of their homes, shot in the streets. Airplanes flying overhead. Many accounts about these airplanes, but we do know they were shooting from the aircraft, shooting people in the streets from the aircraft. They were dropping something, we don't know exactly what, but some kind of firebomb on homes around, blowing up these homes, dragging people from their homes. We, we, we know that they, they burned Every black church on the north side, every one of them burned to the ground. And then they took over 6,000 men from their homes and from their families and marched them to detention camps. Over 6,000. One of those was at the Tulsa Fairgrounds. That, that's, this picture is the one that I, I just can't get over. How many times have you and I taken our family to the Tulsa Fairgrounds? I mean, to the ride the rides and the and the lights and the and cotton candy and, and that that that's that's what happened right there. This is our history. This is our community, this is our atrocity, but I believe this is our opportunity to respond with the hope and the healing and the peace and the purpose of Jesus. I believe that God is calling his church to rise up and be a voice, and we have a responsibility. So I'd like for you to write this down because I believe this is what our responsibility is. As a follower of Jesus, I have a responsibility to listen, to learn, and to love. To listen, to learn, and to love. And we see all three of these in this story of the Good Samaritan. Look again, verse 31. By chance, a priest came along, but when, when he saw the man lying there, say this with me, what? He crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. Now, Jesus doesn't tell us why he did that. I mean, so could it be that he was prejudiced? Could it be that he was a racist? Yeah, it very well could be because of the Samaritans and Jews. That could be why he crossed over. Or could it be possibly because he just didn't want to get involved? Like he's thinking, I, I didn't do this. I mean, I, I, this, this was not my responsibility. And I, I think intentionally or unintentionally, many people have this response. Truth is, some are prejudiced, some are racist, and they intentionally cross by on the other side of the road. But I, I think for most people, the vast majority were, are not racist. In our, in our country, in our city, we're, we're not racist, but but unintentionally, we say, listen, I, I, this happened 100 years ago. It's, just, it's not my fault. It's not my responsibility. I, I did not do this. And we unintentionally cross over to the other side. And we may not be responsible, but I believe we have a responsibility. And our first responsibility as followers of Jesus is to listen. Turn to somebody in your neighborhood gathering and tell them, hey, listen, we got to listen. We've got to listen. And you, you can't listen from a distance, by the way. You, you can't listen when you cross over to the, to the other side like, like the priest did. You, you, you got to draw close. 
And I love Jesus because Jesus is not only telling a parable, but this is how he lived. He, he lived this out. There's a, this incredible story where he's headed home to Galilee and he's passing through Samaria and he stops. He stops at this well. You don't stop in Samaria, but he did. And he sat down at this well and a Samaritan woman came and he began to have this conversation. He drew close. He began to listen. His disciples showed up and they saw Jesus and they're like, what are you doing? But Jesus shows us in the example of the woman at the well that, hey, we need to, if we want to listen, we got we to draw close. And I, I believe listening requires a posture of humility. This is Jesus. What did Jesus do? He sat down, a posture of humility. But unfortunately, so many people today are posturing instead of having a posture of humility. See this all over the news. See this all over social media. People are posturing. They're refusing to listen. Listen, on social media, you can't listen from a distance. You are, you're crossing over to the other side. You're not in a position to draw close and to listen. And so therefore, what happens is people are grandstanding and they're making statements instead of humbling themselves and listening. So as followers of Jesus, I believe we have first a responsibility to listen, but we also have a responsibility to learn. Come on, turn to somebody in your gathering, tell them, I've got something to learn today. I've got something to learn. Verse 32, it says, a temple assistant walked over. He looked at him lying there. So this is good. He, he, he's willing to cross over. He's, he's willing to listen. But he also, say it with me, he did what? He passed by on the other side. For some reason, he didn't want to get involved. Probably thinking, man, this is just too risky, it's too volatile, but I'll be misunderstood, it'll cost me relationships, I mean, I, I, it could cost me my reputation. I, I think of how Jesus just telling the story, like he's a Jewish rabbi, he's making the Samaritan the good guy in the story, and making the Jews the bad guys in the story, like he's risking his own reputation here. And listening and learning, it honestly, is, is it's risky, you you might do the wrong thing. You might say the wrong thing. You might be misunderstood. It might cost you your reputation. It might even, might even cost you some, some relationships. But as followers of Jesus, we've got to be willing to listen. And I think, in, 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 uh, listen and learn. And, and I think in, in order to learn, we've got to unlearn some things and we've got to relearn some things. Let me give you an example of this. Most of us would say, I'm not biased. I am not biased. Okay, let me give you an example of this, completely unrelated to race. How many of you in your neighborhood gathering, show of hands, raise your hand, are right-handed? Raise your hand if you're right-handed, okay? Right? How many of you are left-handed? Like I, I'm left-handed. Raise your hand. Okay, now just stop here. For, have, you ever, have you ever heard of right-handed bias? Did you know that there is a right-handed bias in our world? It's true. I know I'm left-handed. Every left-handed person knows this, but most right-handed people are completely unaware of the right-handed bias in our world. Everything in our world is created for right-handed people. It's just a fact. Like, why? Because nine out of 10 people, 90% of people are right-handed. And, and just for, for example, like to just try to use a pair of scissors. If you're right-handed, you've never thought about it. You just grab scissors and use them. Left-handed people, you go to cut with your left hand, the scissors actually open when you squeeze them, and you can't cut the paper, so you have to turn the scissors upside down, or you have to manipulate your thumb. Remember going to school, and they give you that spiral mead notebook? You write in it, right-handed people, but you've never thought about this. You just grab the mead notebook, and you start writing. Guess what, left-handed people? I, my entire school existence 
trying to write in a Mead notebook, your hand rests on that spiral and puts all these creases down your hand and you can't write correctly if you're left-handed because it's made for a right-handed person. Before the 20th century, being left-handed was considered a curse. They, you, they would teach you to use your right hand. You weren't allowed before the 20th century to even use your left hand. Like they, they thought you were cursed. In fact, they, they would say, when you look in Scripture, like look at Scripture, what does it say? Jesus sits at the right hand of God. And, and what do we, when we talk about God, we talk about God's right hand. Why did the authors use that? Because the left hand was considered cursed. So what do left-handed people have to do? We have to adjust. We have to adjust to the world that we live in. And when you listen, I think when you listen from a posture of, excuse me, when you, when you learn, when you listen and learn from a posture of humility, and you're able to unlearn and, and you're able to relearn, you discover some of the biases that you have that you didn't even know you had because of how you were raised and because of what you were taught and because of the different people that you, you were around. This is why we've got to humble ourselves. It goes beyond race, too. It goes way beyond race. It's, it, we're, we're talking about, like, just think about, we've got to unlearn and relearn when it comes to, to People who vote different than me, people who, people who have a different uh, religion than me, they believe different than me, people who have a different moral or, or, or sexual uh, preference or belief than, than me. We've got to be willing to, to learn. Verse 33, then a despised Samaritan came along, and, and when he saw the man, he felt what? Compassion. He felt compassion for him. It was compassion that drew him close. It was compassion. He was willing to take a risk. He was willing to risk his reputation. He was willing to risk relationships. He was willing to risk being misunderstood. As a follower of Jesus, I, I've got to respond with compassion and love. Come on, turn to somebody and say, be a good neighbor and love somebody. Be a good neighbor and love somebody. Last year in part one of, of Listen, Learn, Love, I, I spoke to Joseph Bias, and if you missed that, you can go back one year ago today, it's, it's on our YouTube feed, and you can listen to that conversation that Joseph and I had. He's an amazing man, and he's become a, a really good friend. Joseph uh, knew Martin Luther King Jr. In fact, he, he sang as a young man at Martin Luther King Jr.'s funeral. This is a picture of that. And at that funeral, he actually sat next to Rosa Parks. This is him standing next to Rosa Parks. And so I asked him if he'd come back and if he would share with us, what does it mean to listen, to learn, and specifically, what does it mean to respond in love? Watch this. Joseph, it's so great to have you back. Thanks for coming. I'm glad to be back. Yeah. So we're talking about the, the Good Samaritan today and this idea that he responded with compassion, unlike the other two guys. And what's unique in the story that Jesus tells is this is the one guy who responded to a group that was not like him, a man that was not like him, different than him. And so we know that our responsibility as followers of Jesus is to respond in love. Truth is, Joseph, that word love sometimes is overused, even in our society. And I just wanted to ask you, what, it, with all that's happening this weekend, all that's going on, and as we re reflect back on 100 years, what does it mean... How do we respond in love? What does that look like for us? Well, simply stated, just do what Jesus prompts in our hearts to do. Okay. Now, what does that mean? 
Well, if I know who I am in Christ, I'm going to identify with him. I'm going to be led by him. I'm going to be sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit mm -hmm. in me. And the love of God, the word tells us, is shed or brought in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. So we need, we need that presence to begin with. Mm -hmm. If then I'm led by the Holy Spirit, first of all, I'm not going to be anybody's judge. Mm. Okay. I'm not going to be anybody's uh, 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 prejudge <laughs> if you want to go there. That's no, but that's that's uh, big. Know. Honestly, it is because yeah. we all at times can do that. But oh, if yeah, I'm do. a follower of Jesus, yeah. what you're saying is yeah. I'm not. It's, it's not my place to, right. to, to try to, well, I'll put it in an even larger context. We, rec we recognize, first of all, you talk about the things going on this week, commemorating the things that happened 100 years ago. Those things are today as real to some people as they were back then. Some yes. of them are still alive yes. who actually experienced it. The horror of that time cannot be dismissed in any way or diminished. It was terrible. It was horrible. However... Where Christ comes in to all of this is that I cannot then judge someone who is in need mm -hmm. uh, based on what may have happened a hundred years ago simply because they might bear the same generational connection or color of skin, if you will. Okay. Okay. So love says... I will not consider that mm. offense when I'm ministering to you. If you have a need, I'm going to minister to you. Mm -hmm. If you are thirsty, I'm going to give you water to drink. If you're hungry, I'm going to feed you. If you're naked, I'm going to clothe you. If you're lost, <laughs> I'm going to bring you in. Right. right. How love manifests itself in the context of what's going on now in our time is I think fundamentally... It's important for, for black people and white people. Let's just talk about here in Tulsa okay. and in the Tulsa community. Uh, for all of us who are Christians, because that's what we're talking about here. Mm -hmm. we're, not, we're not talking about the world now. We're yep. talking about Christians. For all of us to understand who we are, first of all, in Christ. I am your brother. God is our father. All right. I don't have any other relationship or connection that is greater or higher than that. Mm -hmm. That's who we are. Mm -hmm. We all look to the same source for life. Yes. Jesus came that we might have life and that more abundantly. He died for all of our sins, from mine and yours. Okay. Mm -hmm. So how can I, <laughs> knowing my sins, judge you for your sins or offenses mm -hmm. if I am going to expect God to forgive me of mine. Mm. Okay. And so knowing that we've all been forgiven through Christ. Okay. Now let's look at each other. All right. An offense happened. A terrible thing happened. How do we heal now? Yeah. From what happens? That's, that's a great question. I think there must first be acknowledgement. Okay. Everybody has to admit this should never have happened, right. but it did happen. I, I, can I, I just want to say thank you for saying that in that uh, I, that's what, what we're trying to do today yeah. is, is stop and, and first remember and acknowledge that it did happen. It happened. Yeah, it did happen. And people were hurt. People were wounded. And wounds, wounds do carry on generationally. They, they, they can be passed mm -hmm. down, you right. know. And so even though we're 100 years out, you know, the effects 
on some people's lives are still quite acute. Right. Okay. Yes. We have to acknowledge that as yeah. well. But we're also a hundred years out. Mm. <laughs> so there's opportunity here. All yeah. right. There's opportunity for us to turn the page. It's opportunity for us to do something new. It's opportunity for us to do something Jesus-like. Yeah. You know, and say, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Mm -hmm. I forgive you. You know, he who is without sin cast the mm. first stone, he said, about the woman caught in adultery. She was guilty. Okay. Right. But he said, who, who among you is not guilty? All right. Mm. So let all offenses stop in Christ because there is no place in him, in the body of Christ, for us to have division and right. strife between us. Right. We are one body, one people. There's neither Jew nor Greek, bond nor free, male nor female, but in Christ we are all one. Well, what does that mean for us? Well, I identify with the people who went through the tragedy, but I also identify with the ones who caused it and perpetrated wow. it. And if I don't understand that both of us need redemption <laughs> wow. in the one Christ, yeah. I will continue to perpetuate the same old prejudices, the same old divisions over and over and over again. But if I release that, if I forgive, mm -hmm. and if the offender offender says, I receive that forgiveness, mm -hmm. you know, I seek that and I receive that forgiveness, then I can seek and receive forgiveness for me too mm -hmm. as well. Now we're together. We're just one person. Mm -hmm. The past is the past. Forgetting the things which are past. <laughs> yeah. Now, you said yeah. something to me when we were talking in the last week that just I thought was so good is all the things that are happening. There's good things that are happening. I mean, mm -hmm. in, in, in our community, there's so many things they're doing to yeah. try to bring about unity, to try to bring about yeah. uh, reconciliation. But you said something to me. You said that that can only happen through Christ. Yes. And that's yeah. why it's so important yeah. for yeah. us as followers of Jesus to take the lead and to get involved and to do, do something. It, it, it comes down to this. Uh, if you owe me something, okay, a debt you can't pay, and I keep demanding more and more from you, mm -hmm. will I ever be satisfied? <laughs> no. No, no. So I got to go to a higher source. The parable that Jesus told about the man who owed his master, let's say, billions of dollars oh, by yeah. comparison. And that same man whose, whose friend owed him pennies, mm -hmm. the one was forgiven great debt. The other threw the guy in prison for owing such a little amount. Right. There was no love there. There was no compassion. Mm -hmm. There was no understanding. Right. Okay. But when we understand that in relationship to Christ, we are all sinners. Mm -hmm. We have all offended God, okay? And he's the only one that can repair it. Mm. But he did. Wow. In Jesus Christ. Yes. He repaired all of us. Yes. We find life in him and that yes. more abundantly. We become new creations right. in Christ Jesus. Old things have passed away and all things have become new and all things are of God. Mm -hmm. I'm no longer identified with mm -hmm. the person I was and neither are those believers whose parents or grandparents mm. were the perpetrators of crimes a hundred years ago. Mm. They're no longer guilty. But I can recognize, and out of compassion, mm -hmm. like the Samaritan, mm -hmm. I can give, motivated by love, to meet the needs of those who 
are hurting right. now. Yeah, no, I, I love that idea because yeah. you, you, what you're saying is that there's reconciliation, but after that, yeah, I'm going to act in love, and some of those acts of love is oh, to yeah. is to get involved and make a difference sure. and help Absolutely. In, Absolutely. in these different ways. I, what I just so appreciate, and it just just hammered home for me, and this is something <laughs> I should know as a pastor, and, and I don't know why, I was like, yeah, is that the only true reconciliation, as you're saying, you've already said this, but I just want to say, is can only happen through only. Christ, the only, only way where right. the world is going to truly see peace, yeah. truly see unity, truly yeah. see forgiveness, and where we're really yeah. going to come together yeah. is when people come to know Jesus. Because if I keep looking at you as as the offender, or if I keep looking at myself as the victim, I can never get it. I can't get out of that box. Right. You know. Right. But in Christ, I'm no longer a victim. You're no longer an offender. You're no longer a victim, and I'm no longer an offender. Mm-hmm. I'm. All, we were all one in him. We identify with him, and that's where our freedom comes. Right. It doesn't come in the world. We can keep grabbing from one another. Yeah. You know, you fix this. you got to fix me. No, right. you owe me. No, you owe me. That doesn't end. What ends is, in Christ, we are all one. Mm. You can't give me something I have not already found in Christ. Right. You see? Wow. I, I, what I love is this idea that you, you're, you're talking about is that, yes, I'm white. That's very obvious. I mean, when they, when they set the lights today, <laughs> they said, there's a shine on you. And, and it wasn't up, on you. And I reached up to see if there was something. It wasn't something on you. Going. It was on the white guy. <laughs> and so it's very, but it's obvious. Yeah. And I love because we, we, it's not that we don't, I don't recognize that in you. I, I'm not going to say that you're black. I'm not going to say that you're white because that could, you know, it's, we recognize and appreciate that's what makes us beautiful and unique and different, but we are yeah. Yeah. one yeah. brothers in Christ. Let's celebrate, let's celebrate our differences and diversities, yeah. but understand that we're celebrating hands, celebrating hearts. Feet celebrating, celebrating elbows, yeah. you know, uh, noses, celebrating fingernails. Mm-hmm. In other words, we're all part of one body. We have different functions. Yeah. We have different gifts. We have, we have, we have different uh, uh, appearances, mm-hmm. okay? But we're all a part of this glorious presence that yeah. is called Christ, yeah. his church. That's so know? good. What's That's not so to good. like about that? Man. <laughs> Thank you for coming. I know that um, for you to step out on this weekend and to speak was, you, you, you prayed about it, but you, yeah, and, yeah. and you, you trusted me, you trusted yeah. us, and we're just grateful for your story and, and just sharing and helping us to listen, to learn, and to love. Thank you, Joseph. I'm glad I could be here. Thanks. So let's go back to the story. Verse 34. The Samaritan, going over to him, soothed his wounds with olive oil and, and wine, and he bandaged him. Then, then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, hey, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm in town. So the good Samaritan not only had compassion, but he was moved to action. We've got to be moved to action. Love moves us to action. How do you know you're loving somebody? You're moved to action. Now, I want to introduce you to a very good friend of mine who has been moved to action by what happened 100 years ago. Watch this. I'm here with my good friend, Greg Taylor. Uh, Greg and I have known each other for a long time, like well over 10 years. We first got to know each other because we were both pastoring in the same building. That's a whole nother story. Those but, are good years. But Greg uh, was the pastor of the Journey Church, 
but you are no longer pastoring the Journey Church because God has laid on your heart uh, a new vision, a new ministry. And this just plays so well into when we think about the Good Samaritan and, and what he did. I mean, you know, uh, going over, seeing the guy, but then doing something about it, getting his hands dirty and like, putting the guy up on his donkey, bandaging his wounds, taking him to the end, all of those things. When I thought about like uh, your, your organization and what you're doing, I'm like, that's what you're doing, and I wanted people to hear your story. So first, start by just telling everybody what it is you're doing to make a difference on the north side right now. Yeah, thanks. First, thank, thank you for having me. You're Good welcome, to be Mayor. here. Good I'm to be back with here. you. Good to see you. Thanks. Well, hey, I grew up on the, in extreme North Tulsa, Bartlesville. Oh, <laughs> I, was like, I was like, wait a minute. I was like, I'm learning something new about you. My dad started a building business in 1958, and I became a preacher. I've been preaching for 30 years. So I stepped over, still doing ministry, but back into my family business. My father passed last year. My brother has run the business for about 30 years, so he's got a lot of experience. And so I went to him a couple of years ago with this vision. What if we built houses in North Tulsa where there's been historic discrimination, mm -hmm. there's been redlining, and, and so there's just not been the infrastructure, the houses, there's, there's a lot to rebuild, and there's a lot of new houses to build there in North Tulsa. So I went back into the family business to start building homes in North Tulsa. And now you have this organization that's directly tied into – uh, the the Tulsa race massacre. And yeah, yeah. Twelve fifty six. Twelve fifty six movement. So tell us yeah. first, because I want to hear the heart behind it. But you got to first tell everyone what is what is the movement? Yeah. What is it you're doing? Yeah, twelve fifty six movement is a organization that builds homes, new and rehabbed homes, for black families to increase home ownership for black families mm -hmm. because there has been historic discrimination. That's tied to the history that we have here in the Tulsa area. And I want to tell you a little more about that in a moment. But uh, the, the movement that is a nonprofit that's a coalition of realtors, builders. We're working mainly with subcontractors, contractors, black-owned businesses in North Tulsa. Wow. So that we're all working together to do this. It's a big vision to build 1,256 homes in the next 10 years. Wow. And that number comes directly from the number of homes that were burned down and destroyed during the race massacre. Correct. In 2001, there was the, the state legislature commissioned a report. It's, it's well known now. It's 20 years old. But in that report was the number of homes that were burned down in one day, 1,256. It, it, wow. Randy Crable is a reporter for the Tulsa World. He and Carlos Hill, a historian for OU, uh, said that this on this day, June 1st, 1921, was the worst case of white terrorist violence against a black community in United States history. So tell us the heart behind this. Yeah. What was it that stirred you up and said, I, I got it. This is a yeah. big project. Like, what, why would right. you step out and, and take something like yeah, this? It goes up? back a few years ago. I, I started uh, opening my ears, so listening opening my eyes and seeing mm -hmm. injustices like the Good Samaritan saw something was wrong. Right. And I saw and learned from my friends, black friends who I who knew from their experiences in North Tulsa. I started going with them to MLK parade, for example, four mm -hmm. years ago, went to an MLK parade and started learning some things that were happening in North Tulsa, started learning about some of the history behind the race massacre, started getting into that story and stories like Kenny Booker, who was a survivor 
of the race massacre. He was seven years old when the massacre happened. White uh, mobs went into Greenwood, and he was seven years old. His father hid him in the attic. But when those white mobs, and some of them were deputized by the police mm-hmm. of Tulsa, yep. and they had guns, they had, they had fuel to burn homes, and so they, t- they took Kenny Booker's father from the house, who wow. he'd already hid the children in the attic, and they were holding him at gunpoint and about to take him away, and they started to burn, put fuel on his house to burn it. He broke away and went back up in the attic and got Kenny out and with his brothers and sisters before the house burned down, but everything was lost. Wow. The story is a, really about the victims, it's about survivors and descendants, but it's also about the resilience of uh, the black community in Tulsa that really without a lot of people in white Tulsa helping, uh, white Tulsans, they rebuilt anyway. Well, and what, so- what I like is you, you when you tell that story, it just makes it so stinking personal mm-hmm. because they these people, because it's 100 years ago, they become real. They become human. They become just like us, flesh and blood. And, mm-hmm. and as a dad, I'm, yeah. I was so taken back when you first told me that story because I'm a dad, and I think ha- hiding my family in the mm-hmm. attic, and then they're going to burn my home, and then I got to yeah. try to re- all of those things. And mm-hmm. I, I'm just, I, I love your vision, man. And I, <laughs> I, I love. We, we were joking earlier because I said, uh, you know, you stepped down from pastoring, and you, you corrected me. What'd you say? Stepped over. Yeah. Stepped well, no, over. you said. Stepped up. Stepped up. Because <laughs> we both know that anything outside of pastoring is a step up. But I, I love that. And I just, I'm so moved by what you're doing as a white man. You're saying, I'm going to step up to this and I'm going to make this happen. Yeah. If people want to help, if they want to mm-hmm. get involved, how can they get involved? What can yeah. they do? Yeah. Uh, 1256movement.org is the website. And we're, we're raising over the next 10 years. $12.56 million. And that's wow. equivalent to $10,000 of a, it's a reparation. It's a, in a way it's, it can go toward a um, home equity. It can go toward a down payment assistance yeah. for a home. It could go toward rehabbing homes. There's a lot of vacant homes that need to be rehabbed in North Tulsa. And so it may go toward any of those kind of things for descendants of the massacre, black families in order to increase home ownership for black families. If they want to go to, what's the website? 1256, the numerals, 1256movement.org. Thanks, Greg. Uh, If you want to get involved, again, 1256movement.org. You can uh, get involved by volunteering or maybe even if you want to donate towards this movement. At Core Church today, we are donating $1,000 towards what Greg and this organization is doing because we really believe in what is happening. Jesus said in verse 37, Go and do the same. When, when he told the Samaritan story, he said, listen, just, just go out and do the same thing. So what does that mean? Does that mean that we should all go build houses? And well, Not necessarily, but I do believe that we should all build bridges. Bridges of hope and healing and peace and purpose. So the question is, what are they going to say about us in 100 years? My prayer today is that they're going to say that we listened and that we learned and that we loved.